we just have so much to be grateful for. You've done so many wonderful things for us. And Lord, but uh, as you're going to show us today, you, you want us to be thankful in everything, not just the things that we like, Lord, but the things, even the things we don't like. Because, Lord, we know, as we, we heard in that song a while ago, that Christian sang, that, 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 uh, that all things that you do work for our good, that, that some of those things that we think are really difficult trials are really blessings in disguise. Lord, we just ask that you teach us the precepts that are here in this uh, power-packed last chapter, 1 Thessalonians 5. And Lord, we can only learn these things uh, by your spirit if you open our ears and hearts to hear them. And Lord, we just want to learn because, Lord, we want to be victorious Christians. And you're going to show us just how today as we look at this text. So, So, Lord, I ask for blessings on our study. I ask that through the name of Jesus Christ. It's in his precious name that I pray. Amen. In every book that Paul writes, what he does, he begins the book by taking us up on this great theological, spiritual mountain. And then he brings us straight down into the valley, what I call the valley of practicality, where he gives us all of these precepts on how we're to live the Christian life victoriously. And 1 Thessalonians is is no exception. Remember what he's done here in the first part of 1 Thessalonians? He's given us this crash course on eschatology, and he's been focusing on the rapture and the second coming of Jesus Christ. What a great hope we have. And Paul takes us up, and he takes us up on this mountain, and he shows us this great hope. And a lot of people, what they want to do at that point, stay up on the mountain and just wait on the Lord to come back. And that's where I think a lot of Christians try to live their Christian life, but let me tell you, it's not going to happen like that. There's going to be times down in the valley, and you got to learn how to live down in the valley. And so that's what Paul's going to do today. He's going to bring us off of this this valley where he told us. Look what he told us back in in, uh, verse number... uh, 10 of chapter 5 he said he gave us he concluded this great hope by saying this and 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 this is this is where you want to be when you're living in the valley listen to what he said whether we are awake or asleep in other words whether we are alive when the lord comes or we die before the lord comes and we go to be with the lord we live together with christ and then he tells us in the next verse that we're to comfort each other with these words now that's how we stay mentally on the mountaintop we have this hope in the coming of jesus christ we have this hope that no matter whether we live or whether we die we live together with christ and we're to comfort each other with those words but then now we've got to live the christian life and and so he's going to bring us back down into the valley by giving us 20 imperative verbs some people call these the new commandments I don't like the term new commandments because new commandments imply what? They imply that we are under law and we aren't under law. We're under grace. Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to those who believe. So what Paul is doing, he's given us these imperatives as guidelines for us. If we keep these imperatives, I mean, we're not going to, if we don't keep them, we're not going to lose our salvation. But if we keep these imperatives and learn to keep these imperatives, then we're going to live a powerful 
Christian life. And, and really what he gives us here, and you could kind of sum it up in all of these imperatives, he's really telling you how to walk in the Spirit. Now, people come to me, or, or on occasion people come to me, and they ask me, you know, just tell me what I have to do to live a good, powerful Christian life. And you know, my response always is this. Get as close to the Lord as you possibly can. Get as close to the Lord as you possibly can. And if you're living close to the Lord, you're going to be filled with the Spirit, and all of these things are going to take care of themselves. Well, that's not good enough for some people. People want, you know, a lot of people, they want a list. They want, they want, they want, a, some, they want to be more practical than that. You know, George, you're still up in the mountaintops. We want some practicality. Well, if you want to be practical, let me tell you what you do. Read this list. Now, we're going to do it today, but, but whenever you're wondering, you know, why am I not successful in my Christian life, you might want to go back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and pick up there in verse number 12 and read the rest of that chapter. And there's a list of imperative verbs there, 20 imperative verbs, that will help you on a practical plane to know where you're missing out and why you aren't walking in the Spirit and why you aren't living a powerful Christian life. So let's take, the, take a look at the first one. And I really like this first one because it applies to me. And I want you to get this first one down if you don't get any others down. Listen, listen to what it says. And we urge you, brethren to recognize those who labor among you and are over you, over you, over you in the Lord and admonish you. I really like this. And esteem them very highly, whether they deserve it or not, in love for their, why? For their sake? No, for their works sake. Now, why in the world would Paul say it's important to living a Christian life that you esteem those very highly who are over you? Now, why would he say that? Let me tell you why. Because if you don't respect me, if you don't respect me, now we all kid with each other and y'all can joke with me and I know that, but if you don't really respect me, then you're not going to listen to me. If you don't respect the worship leader, you're not going to be led into worship. And so if you don't esteem those people in love, then, then you're the one who loses out. And, and you're not going to listen to me. You're not, going to, you're not going to be led into worship. And you're the one who's going to lose out. And, and well, here's what I would say to you. If you don't respect the person in the pulpit, if you don't respect the worship leader for various reasons, you can, you can quantify then I would say go somewhere else. Don't, don't listen to someone who you can't respect. Now, listen to what he, he says right here again. He says, and we urge you, brethren, to recognize those who labor among you Here's, and, and are over you. Now, I joked about being over you, but, there's, but Paul's not saying this. Paul's not saying recognize those who lord over you. He says, recognize those who are over you in the Lord. Now, there's a big difference. Pastors, teachers, worship leaders, elders, any people who try to lord over you, let me tell you what, beware of them because that is not their task. The Bible's very clear about the pastor's task. We're, we were, when we were in 1 Peter, we heard what Peter had to say about that. Listen to what he said. 
He says, as a pastor or a worship leader or an elder, you're to shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers. Now, what's an overseer? That's not some slave overseer. That's a lookout. That Literally, the word means to look out. My job is to look out for you, to make sure that you're fed good food, that you're fed sound doctrine, that false doctrine doesn't come into this church. That's my job. That's the elder's job. They're, the elders sit back there and they listen to what I say. And if I start spouting out false doctrine, they're going to get rid of me. And that's their job to look out for you. And, 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 and Peter goes on and he says, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And that fits perfectly with what Paul's saying right here because the word over you that he uses there simply means to stand before you. You're to respect those who stand before you. Look, I stand before you, first of all, as an example. If my example is not worthy of your esteem, that's why I say then you need to go and find another pastor. You know, if I'm heading to the bar every night and I'm out chasing women, first of all, my wife's going to kill me, so I'm not going to be here. But, but if I was doing those things, you shouldn't be up here listening to me. You know, you, you, you're wasting your time listening to me. There's something wrong with my life. My life doesn't match my doctrine, and my, certainly my life doesn't always match my doctrine. But I do try to set an example. By the grace of God, I try to set an example to you. And I'm a teacher of the word, and so my job is to exhort you and to encourage you and to admonish you. See what he says right here? To admonish you. Now, you know what? I, people don't like to be admonished. And I have never in my life, I can, I can stand here and honestly say this, I have never in my life prepared a sermon to, a, to admonish a particular person. But i got to tell you, sometimes I've admonished people. I've had a guy that left one time. He said, you were speaking at me all the time. Well, dude, if the shoe fits, wear it. <laughs> if you're being admonished, it's not me admonishing you. It's the word of God admonishing you. I don't ever, if you feel admonished here today, if you think maybe I'm speaking to you, it's the Lord speaking to you, not me speaking to you, because I'm go, that's why I go verse by verse through the Bible. I could stand up here and preach sermons against Roy every week. Well, I'm not going to do that. And a lot of other people in here, I could preach them against myself. But I let the word do its work. It does a very good job of admonishing us. And so, you're to, he goes on, listen to what he says again. He says, you're to, he says, in verse number 13, you're to esteem very highly in love. In love those who are over you for their works sake. You're to esteem them in love. In other words, you're to acknowledge their work. You're to acknowledge their work. Now, how do you esteem me highly in love? Let me tell you, you know what the best thing you can do for me? You can pray for me. You can pray for me. The second best thing you can do for me is you can listen to me. When I, when, when, when I prepare these sermons, that's why it hurts so bad and I get mad sometimes when people are sleeping or not paying attention because because. I labor over this for you, for you. And I'm, God, I believe, wants to speak to you. 
And so the, in love, you should show the respect to be ready to listen. You should come ready to listen. But let me tell you the best way, the very best way you can esteem my work in love is, is by becoming doers of the word and not just hearers of the word. When I see people who are being changed by the word of God, there is nothing that blesses me more, and I know there's nothing that blesses God more than for his word to begin to take, make an impact on your life and begin to change you. How do you esteem the worship team in love? Well, you get involved in worship. You get involved in worship. You know, nothing discourages a worship leader of the worship team more than to be up here and they work really hard to, to bring worship to you and then y'all sit there like knots on a log. Y'all don't, don't, don't do that today and I'm not saying you did, but when you do, it's really bad. It really, it's discouraging to them when you don't clap, when you don't sing. It's discouraging. And I bet if it discourages them, you know what, I bet it discourages God that you don't have the heart to worship him. I mean, I know some of you can't sing very well, but, you know, you at least open your mouth. I mean, don't, if you can't sing very well, don't open them really loud because you'll mess up my beautiful voice. But I'm joking. That's why I don't sing loud. Then he gives us the next imperative, verse number 13. He says, or the last part of 13. I left that one off. He says, be at peace among yourselves. All of you, and you know what? I, one of the things I love about this church this is not a gossipy church. We've had some things that have happened in this church that would make your hair stand up. Some things that have happened in the last couple of years in this church. But you know what? I'm proud of y'all in the sense I haven't heard people just making that an issue and talking about some of these things that have happened all the time. Really, pretty much, it's been ignored. And that's a good thing. That's a really good thing. There's not a lot of strife in this church. And you know why you don't have strife in a church? Because not only are you, not, are you to esteem the worship leader and the pastor and the elders in this church, you're to esteem each other. You know what? I'm no better than you. You're no better than me. Paul puts it like this in the book of, in the book of Philippians here, if I can find my, my reference. He said, let, in Philippians chapter 2, he said, let each esteem others better than himself. That doesn't mean that everybody's better than you, but you treat them as if they are better than you. And he, how do you treat them if, if they're, they're better, for, better than you? Then you look out, he says in verse number 4 of Philippians chapter 2, he says, you look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. You don't just look out for your interest, you look out for the interest of others. And when a church is doing that, when a church is not a gossipy church, a church full of strife, a church full of selfishness, when a church begins to look out after each other, when we begin, begin to esteem each other at least as good as ourselves, then, then we're at peace. We're a church at peace. We're a church where God can work. We're a church that's full of God's spirit. And then in verse number 14, he gives us four imperatives right there in that one, number, that one verse, verse number 14. Listen to what he says. He says, now we exhort you, brethren, to warn the unruly, to warn those rebels amongst you, to comfort the fainthearted, to uphold the weak, to be patient with all. And again, Paul's not laying down some law here. He's exhorting us uh, to, to live up to our heritage in the Lord. And one of the things that means is that we're, that we're willing to 
warn the unruly. You know, I don't know of many unruly, or if any, we have any unruly people in this church, but if we did, if I have unruly friends, let me tell you what, and they call themselves Christians, I'm going to warn them. And there's two warnings I'm going to give them, one of two warnings. The first warning is, look, buddy, i got to tell you, the way you're living, you're asking for a, a good spanking from the Lord, and you're going to get it. You better straighten out, and you better, you better get your act together, or, 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 or the Lord's going to take care of that issue in your life. And then if that person says, well, I don't worry about the Lord, and I'm going to continue right on. He hasn't done anything so far. He's not going to do anything. You know what I'd say to them? My next warning would be, I'd be worried about your soul. Let me warn you, if you can live like that and there are no consequences, then you're not a child of God. Because a child, because a child of God is going to be disciplined. And if, God, if God's just allowing you to do that, it's probably because you're not a child of God and you're on the way to hell. And you better straighten your act up and you better get right with the Lord or you're going to end up in hell. There is nothing wrong. In fact, we need to warn one another when we see each other acting in, an, in, a, in rebellion against God. The second thing he says here, and this is really important, comfort the faint-hearted. Comfort the faint-hearted. You know, there's, there's a lot of Christians. I got to tell you, there are a lot of Christians who are faint-hearted. They're very, very weak. The, the, the second one and the third one go together. I mean, the first thing, the first difficulty, the first major trial that comes in their life, and they throw their faith right out the window. It goes right out the window. And I think all of us at one time live like that. One little difficulty, and oh, man, I'm throwing this stuff away. Even though they're still born again, they're still children of God, they just throw it right out the window, and they, and they just, woe is me, and all they can do is worry about themselves because they're faint-hearted, because they have a weak faith. And our job in that situation isn't to scold them. It isn't to criticize them and say, you just, you're just a weakling, you need a man up. I want to do that sometimes, but that's not your job. No, our job is to encourage them, to pray with them, to pray for them. And right along those lines, he says we're to uphold the weak. What does he mean, uphold them? To keep them standing. They're weak in their faith. They're faint-hearted. And we're to be there with them when they fall, and we're to pick them up when they fall. And we're to help them stand in their faith in Jesus Christ. And we're to help them with their problems any way we can. That's our job. And so Paul, go right along those lines, Paul tells us in the next imperative here, we are to be patient with all. It requires a lot of patience to deal with rebels. It requires a lot of patience to deal with faint-hearted, weak Christians. Let me tell you, a lot of patience. Because weak Christians will use you as much as they possibly can. They will run you ragged if you let them. And, and that's a good thing to let them, I guess. And they will test your temper. Rebels will test your temper. So how do I learn to be patient with people like that? You don't learn to be patient with people like that. Patience is what? It's a gift of the Spirit. You've, that's why I said earlier, 
You've got to be, for all of this to work, you've got to be walking in the Spirit. How am I walking in the Spirit? I get as close to the Lord as I possibly can. And then you receive patience as a gift from God. And then you exercise that patience. You, you still got your flesh. So the first temptation is going to be to lose your temper with weak people, with rebels. But you've got to be patient. You know how you do that? You do exactly what Moses did in the Old Testament. Remember what he ever did when those people were coming at him and criticizing him and giving him a hard time? What was the first thing he did? He fell on his face before the Lord. He didn't attack back. He didn't, he didn't, he didn't do anything wrong towards those people. In fact, he prayed for those people. He got on his face and said, Lord, you handle this. You help me with this situation. And that's the way we have to handle it too. Exactly as Moses handled it. Look at the next imperative we get in first. Verse 15, see that no one renders evil for evil to anyone. Y'all get that? No one, that's all of us, none of us, no Christian renders evil for evil to anyone. Even the people we don't like, we do not render evil for evil. We do, but always pursue what is good both for yourselves and for everyone else. Always, what's that mean in the Greek? Always. Paul says, says something very similar over in Galatians chapter 6. He says, and let, and let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not lose heart. If we don't lose heart, you're going to reap a blessing. If you continue to do good for people, you're going to reap a great blessing. You will never reap a blessing returning evil for evil. How many of you have ever reaped a blessing returning evil for evil? For a moment, you might have felt good. But it wasn't a blessing, was it? It wasn't a blessing at all. Why do we go weary in doing good? Let me tell you why you grow weary in doing good. And you're going to grow weary if you're doing a lot of good. Because we live in an evil world with evil people who do evil things. And it's really hard to do good to those people. But that's not a, that's not a choice we have. All, our job is to always be doing good. And you hang in there. And you keep doing good, even to those that you don't like, that don't like you. Then in due time, you're going to reap a blessing. Now, we get to the meat of this thing. I want you to see this. Paul gives us three power-packed imperatives. I'm telling you, they are power-packed. They're life changers. You could call them the three keys for living a powerful Christian life. Let's read them. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks. I got those three down. How about y'all? No, I don't have them down. Let me tell you why. Because there's some difficulty there. There's, there's some words and phrases with each one of those imperatives attached. If, they didn't atta if he didn't attach the words to that, I would have done fine. If he had said, he said, rejoice, I rejoice sometime. If he had said, pray, I pray sometime. If he had said, I give thanks, I give thanks. But he attached those silly words and phrases to it. They're really not silly. They're very important. What's the words there that cause us problems? The first imperative, always. 
Man, we rejoice when we like what's going on, but we don't rejoice when we don't like what's going on. But he says rejoice always. He says, what's, what's the problem with the second one? What's the, what's the phrase that gets us there? Without ceasing. All of us pray when we're in trouble or when we like what's going on. But we're to pray without ceasing. And what's the problem with the third one? I, we give thanks. Man, when, when God showered, when we get some money we weren't expecting or larger tax return than we expect, oh, Lord, thank you. But when we got to pay the IRS $5,000, I'm not thanking you for that, Lord, no way. But what's the problem? What's the phrase? In everything, we're to give thanks. The Lord doesn't want us just to rejoice when things are going our way. He wants us to rejoice always. The Lord doesn't want us to pray just when we like the answers to our prayer. He wants us to pray always. The Lord doesn't want us to be thankful just for the things that please us. He wants us to be thankful in everything. Those are three keys to a powerful Christian living. I read a book one time when I first got saved called The Power of Praise. I don't know a guy who, who, who had a prison ministry. He wrote this book, The Power of Praise. And the whole book was based upon this verse, Rejoice Always. I mean, the whole book. And I mean, he had a lot to say along those lines and how he had learned that he, he could live a powerful Christian life if he was always rejoicing, if he was always giving the Lord praise and giving him thanks. He, he, he just felt the power of God. There is power in praise. There is power in, in rejoicing. There is certainly power in prayer. And so these are the three keys to, to, being, to living a powerful Christian life. So why aren't we living powerful Christian lives? Let me tell you what, because we've locked these things away. We've locked them away in our hearts. And we don't always rejoice because we don't always feel like rejoicing. We don't always pray because we don't always feel like praying. And we don't always give thanks because we don't always like what's going on in our lives. But there's another key. There's a key that you can use to lock, to unlock that box where you've stored those three keys to powerful Christian living. And this is the key. The key is the spiritual vision. Listen to me. To see all our circumstances as blessings from God. That's the key. To see everything that comes into your life as a blessing from God. Even those blessings in disguise. I love that song Christian, Christian sang a while ago by Laura Starry and story entitled Blessings. Let me, let me go read the chorus again. What if blessings come through raindrops? What if your healing comes through tears? What if a thousand sleepless nights are what it takes to know you're near? What if the trials of this life are your mercies in disguise? Do you know what? The trials of your life are God's mercies in disguise. Because by faith we know that great verse in Romans chapter 8, that all things work together for the good of those who love the Lord 
and are called according to his purpose. And I don't blindly believe that. Some of you younger people, you, you hear that and you say, well, yeah, that's great. I don't really believe that. But one day you will believe that. When you've lived long enough, when you've been a Christian long enough, you're going to come to realize that all things, everything that's happened in your life since you were born again, even before you were born again, came through the loving hands of God. Even those things you don't like, those blessings in disguise, they came from God. And until you really believe that, you're not going to have any power in your life. You're going to be a miserable Christian. You have got to make a choice to truly believe that, that those difficult trials are really blessings in disguise. And sometimes they're life's greatest blessings. And one day, I promise you, when you're on the other side of all these things, you're going to see that those trials that you've been going through are God's blessings. They're his greatest blessings. I experienced one of those blessings in disguise a couple of year back, years back when I had that life-threatening heart defect that they discovered that I'd had since I was a baby. And it was a tough time in my life. I tell you, you got a few months to live. That's tough. Two surgeries. It's tough. But I got to tell you something. I can look back on that from two years ago, and I'm a better man. I'm a much better man than I was before that happened to me. I'm much more appreciative of life. Man, I treasure every day of my life. I mean, I'm much more appreciative of my wife and my family than I was before that happened. I'm much more appreciative of you. Man, I love this church so much more than before that happened. I really kind of reached a point where I was hating the ministry. And now I love the ministry. I appreciate the ministry. And I have a stronger faith than I've ever had in my life because through that whole process, I got to tell you something, I felt the presence of God like I had never felt the presence of God before. And my faith became so real. And so strong as he gave me joy and peace through that entire process. And I can look back on that and I can say, what a blessing. Thank you, Lord. I wouldn't advise you to ask for something like that to happen in your life, but it's going to come. Those things are going to come. Those blessings in disguise are going to come. And let me tell you what, you might not see it for two years. It might take you 30 years to see that a particular situation was a blessing in your life. You might not ever see it as a blessing in your life. You might go down kicking and screaming the whole way. But it is a blessing in your life. Because the word does not lie. All things work together for the good of those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. Everything that comes your way comes through a God who loves you. Everything. And friends, let me tell you what, it's only when you begin to see those trials and difficulties as blessings in disguise that you can rejoice always. Not some phony, you know, I've heard people, oh, thank you, Lord, when they're really mad at the Lord. You know, that's phoniness. That doesn't do you any good. I'm talking about rejoicing that comes from the heart. When you truly get to the point where you can see 
those blessings in disguise, when you can recognize those blessings in disguise, then you're going to rejoice always. You're going to always rejoice. Look at Paul over in Philippians. When he wrote Philippians, where was he at? He was in a Roman jail, and what did he say? Rejoice again, I say always rejoice. Hey, be like me, man. I'm happy as I can be. I'm full of joy. And they were about to take his head off. He knew he was in deep trouble. But he also knew to be absent from the bodies, to be present from the Lord. It's far better to be with Christ than to go on in this world. He had that hope that Paul gave us right here in 1 Thessalonians, that whether I... I'm alive or whether I'm dead, I live together with Christ. I'm always alive in Christ. I'm always with Christ. And I can always rejoice because God loves me. And nothing's going to come my way that, that isn't coming from a loving God. And you got to believe that. you got to take that step. That's a choice. And you've got to believe it. And if you don't believe it, let me tell you what, you're going to live a defeated Christian life. You're going to be miserable. You're going to be bitter. You're going to make everybody around you bitter and miserable. You've got to believe that God loves you. And God has placed you exactly where he wants you. Let me tell you what. Every person in this room who is a born-again believer is exactly where they're supposed to be this very moment. In your job and whatever you're going through. You, if you're not there, you're going to get there pretty soon. You, sometimes we bullheaded and we take a route we shouldn't take, but God will get us right back to where we're supposed to be. But let me tell you what, when God puts you in a place and there's difficulties in that place and there's trials in that place, that's because he is blessing you. He is blessing you through those trials. He's got a plan for you. He's making you. He's growing you in the image of Christ. And if you cut and run, you, you, you're jumping out of the pan and into the fire. The situation is going to get a lot worse because he's going to have to really discipline you. And that's a blessing. He's always going to bless his children. So we can rejoice always. And when we don't rejoice, when we don't praise God, in every situation. You know what we're saying? You understand what we're saying? We're saying, I don't trust you, Lord. I really don't trust you. And if you don't trust the Lord, you don't love the Lord. Not the way he wants you to love him. Because trust and love go hand in hand. The Lord himself says in the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, it is impossible to please me without faith. Because if you don't have faith enough to trust me, you don't know me, and you don't love me. And when you do have faith, and when you do really believe, that everything is working for your good. When you really begin to see those blessings in disguise, then you're going to thank God in everything. You're going to rejoice always. 
And I got to tell you, you're going to pray without ceasing. When you, when you begin to see God's presence in the good things and the bad things, that's when you become a real prayer warrior. Because you know what our tendency is when we don't like what's going on? is to shut God out. We shut God out, and then what do we do? We, we try to fix things ourselves, and we make a big mess. But when we really trust God, when we really believe, when we, when we begin to recognize those blessings in disguise, then we begin to pray. We begin to pray. You can't help but pray if you're in a good relationship with the Lord because where is the Lord? He's in you. He's always in you. Is he in you just when you're in your prayer closet? No, he's always in you. He's always with you. I mean, I know people think I'm nuts when I'm driving down the road by myself and they see me talking and just talking away. Sitting at a red light and I'm talking. And I see people every once in a while look over me like, look at that nut talking to himself. I'm not talking to myself. I'm talking out loud to the Lord. Because I know that when I'm in that car by myself, he's got just as present as he is in my prayer closet. When I'm in trouble, I know the Lord's right there and I yell help just like Peter yelled help when he was sinking. And I'm... I, 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 I'm always aware, whatever situation I go into, the Lord knows I'm in that situation, good or bad. And I can always call on him. He's always there. And the only thing that will keep me from praying without ceasing is if I shut him out because I don't like my situation. And I'm really, you know what it is? You're mad at God. And that's not healthy. That doesn't do you any good. God's not worried about you being mad at him. I don't love you anymore, Lord. Well, I'm just going to shut down my kingdom and, and, and go away. No. The Lord's going to keep right on loving you because he knows you're his child. He's going to keep right on blessing you. He, and if he needs to bless you by turning up the heat more, that's what he's going to do because he loves you and he wants to bless you. So I can rejoice in every situation and everything I can give thanks. I can pray without ceasing. And when you begin to do that, you know what you're doing? You're back to square one. You're getting close to the Lord. And you're beginning to walk in the Spirit. And you will begin to live a life of victory and power. Instead of being a bitter, miserable, defeated Christian you'll be a victorious Christian. And you'll give thanks for everything in life, even those blessings in disguise. You get to that point. You're going to come down off of that point at times. But when you get to that point, you're maturing in Christ. Hey, what's our job? We're to help those who are, are still not mature, those weak, faint-hearted Christians, to get them to that point. That's why, we, that's why we share our problems. That's why we share our burdens. That's why we confess our sins. Hey, we're in this with you. But the Lord's good, and the Lord's going to get us through this. He's going to get you through it. And you're going to have a great victory if you'll hang in there.
Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just thank you for your goodness. We just thank you for, for those blessings in disguise, even for those blessings in disguise. Lord, sometimes they are our greatest blessings. Lord, we want to be the kind of Christian that, Christians that rejoice always, Lord, that pray without ceasing, that give thanks in everything. We can only do that when we're walking in your spirit, in the power of your love. That comes by faith, Lord. I just beg that you, you, you give us all more of your spirit and help us to be the kind of mature Christians you want to be. Lord, you want us to live in victory so that we can help you in your mission to, to reach the lost. And we can only do that when we come out of this state of weakness. So, Lord, I just ask that you, you take this message home to each of us today and help us to live it. We ask that in Christ's name. Amen.